This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. And good afternoon, everybody. It is the Mike Missanelli Podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers. This is podcast episode number 19, and we're doing this on Thursday, November 3rd. And of course, uh, that is the day after. The Phillies lost 5 nothing in Game 4 at uh, Citizens Bank Ballpark last night. Now, let me just set the scene here on what was for last night. Because uh, the crowd came last night, amped up to take a 3-1 lead and effectively put this series in the bag. And they came with the same excitement. And, you know, it's really interesting because I was at the game last night. And I'm sitting in the stands. This is how amped up the crowd was last night. And excuse me because I'm going to curse. Altuve is the leadoff hitter. The first pitch is called a ball. A guy in my section goes, oh, what the f***? (laughs) So they were totally amped up from pitch one. And it didn't quite work out. Because what happened? Christian Javier was just too tough. He throws six innings on what would be the first World Series no-hitter, and this is a combined no-hitter, of course, since Don Larson in 1956 in the World Series where the film was black and white and where Yogi Berra leapt into his arms. I mean, that's so long ago, I can't even imagine. And, of course, Roy Halladay did it in the NLCS. But last night, it's hard to believe that in a World Series where the Phillies the day before can rake five home runs, would not get a hit against Christian Javier and the great relief pitchers that the Astros brought in. The kid was brilliant. It was like Pedro Martinez. And then the pen was brilliant. And what happened was, with the Phillies not even getting a hit in that game, and they put a couple runners in the scoring position, I guess, but with no hits, the crowd just went dead. They were trying. They were trying to rally, but the Astros and their pitching took the Phillies right out of it. And when they got that big inning, you know, you you could hear a pin drop. And for the first time, I never thought this would happen. But at the end of the seventh inning, people started to file out of Citizens Bank Park. 
This has been the most rabid home field advantage uh, in baseball. And uh, they were so disgruntled last night, so down that they walked out after seven, which, which I think is a violation. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Here's the thing that we have to consider. And I'm going to bring my producer Darren in for this because I know you think the opposite. Was this enough of an emotional turnaround to deplete the Phillies for the rest of this series? They got no hit. Now, uh, you would think that um, it, it, it would have an effect, but it, it, in my experience, um, it, it, to me, it, it does not. And, and here's what, what I'll explain. Um, the momentum swing doesn't happen like that in baseball, or, or frankly, it doesn't happen in most professional sports in a playoff series because there's always the next game. And so however poorly you play the night before, even if you get no hit, you just kind of forget about it. It's irrelevant to the next game, and you move on. It applies especially to this Phillies team in the postseason. They're not just going to lay down here because they got no hit. So to me, it's almost irrelevant to, to get no hit because the pitcher's not going to be the same. Like, if you're coming back with the same M.O., and the Phillies proved that they were outclassed against that M.O., well, then that, that applies. But it doesn't. They're going to be facing a pitcher next night who's not. Christian Javier, uh, and he's Justin Verlander, who they had success against before. Um, so uh, let, let's let's bat this around a little bit, Darren, because you were texting me last night at the, uh, at the ballpark, and you said, have you ever seen a bigger momentum sw- swing than this? So you actually believe this could hurt the Phillies. Uh, I'll say it this way. Th- this team is different, and, and that's a good point that you make, because I first – if. If I didn't believe that this team had a different makeup, the more I think about it, it is it really was. We're, first of all, we're wading into a little bit of uncharted waters here. It's only happened twice in the history of the World Series, and I know it wasn't one pitcher; it was three. But a no hitter is about just as rare as it gets in the World Series. This team does have a different makeup. Last night, I apologize again for cur- as well for cursing. What did Kyle Schwarber say in a post game press conference last night? I don't give a f- Let's move on. Move on. So, they, and I believe that this right. team has that makeup that they can move on from it. However, it is impossible to ignore the fact that the night before, they looked like they were toying with the Astros. Five bombs. It was a laugher, and it was a party by the fourth inning. To come back the very next game, and for the first time this entire postseason I saw Phillies walk out of the box and look dumbfounded Bohm had a an oh shit look on his face all night they all did yeah, well, but here's the thing they were dumbfounded because the pitcher dumbfounded them I mean you're talking about a guy who didn't give up a hit so his stuff was playing pretty well against them that doesn't mean that Verlander's no. stuff's going to play that well the next night. It doesn't mean that they're going to all of a sudden turn into bad hitters because Christian Javier was was fantastic. I happen to I agree with that's you. the only that's the only point I'm trying to make here. They, they didn't swing the bats last night against a pitcher who who was kind of perfect, uh, and and they they can't they come back tonight against a guy who they hit earlier in in the series. So I, I don't think it has any bearing on what happens the next night with this team. Baseball players have to be those type of guys that that just forget about it and go from game to game. Look at the Houston Astros. They weren't hitting at all 
all of a sudden they 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 get a they get a a spot in the game where they put together some good at bats and some some good hits. And so it doesn't mean that if you slump that you're going to continue to slump. That that's all I'm saying. I have a bigger concern, and my bigger concern is a more obvious concern. My biggest concern is that the pitching matchup for tonight and the rest of the series may not be adequate enough to win this series. So tonight, let's look at it. They're going to go with Noah Syndergaard versus Verlander. Uh, Verlander hasn't pitched well in the postseason. He pitched well a couple of times this postseason. Uh, But I got to think that as a veteran guy uh, who, who looked at that first start, can figure it out a little bit better than a guy like uh, Noah Syndergaard. All right, so my biggest concern has nothing to do with whether they're going to uh, hit. My biggest concern from this point on is that the pitching matchups for tonight's game and also for the rest of the series, whether it's going to be adequate enough for the Phillies to actually win this series. They they really, if they had won that game last night, they had given themselves a, a really good spot to win this World Series. But now we're tied at 2-2, and you got to look beyond on the, what the pitching matchups are. I feared this all along. The longer the series would go on, the more Houston would have the advantage because of their depth of pitching. So tonight, we've got Noah Syndergaard, a bullpen game in a World Series against a guy who could win the American League game, uh, a Cy Young Award. Now, I know Verlander has not had a great track record the postseason. He hasn't had a great track record this postseason. But I got to think as a guy who's pitched as long as he can with the stuff he has, he's going to try to figure something out that he didn't do the first time. And I think the thing he's going to figure out is he needed to throw more fastballs. And, and and he didn't really do that. He lost his fastball in that game. So I think the adjustment tonight will be that he'll throw more fastballs. Now, where do the Phillies go? Um Syndergaard goes three at best. The, he hasn't thrown more than, what, 45 pitches this whole postseason. So he's not going to get into the fourth inning, most likely. If he finishes, hopefully they get nine outs from Syndergaard. And then they got to piecemeal the rest of the game. Well, Verlander is going to, you know, give you six, most likely. So Alvarado threw 23 pitches last night. Now, I don't think that was the plan, but he threw 26 to three pitches. Can he come back effectively tonight? They used Bilotti. They used Robertson. They used Eflin. They used Brad Hand, who I don't care about. Uh, Aloha, Mr. Hand, because I, I, don't, I don't think that you're going to pitch in this game. So, But how many of these guys can come back and, and, and be effective? And, and, you know, if they do come back and they're, 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 they tell their manager, yeah, I'm good. How effective will they be? Because pitchers lie all the time. So now we have this game. And then we have a depleted Wheeler being forced to win a game six in Houston to try and beat Framber Valdez. Now, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier are their best pitchers right now. A loss tonight, and frankly, the season's over. You can't think that you're going to go into Houston against that pitching staff. Although, if you can get it into a Game 7, it does provide a dilemma for Dusty Baker. I'll talk that about that in, in a second. In Game 7, if you get there, if Wheeler can deliver, they lose tonight. Wheeler delivers 6. There's two scenarios. Either you win tonight, Wheeler delivers, and they win the series. Or you lose tonight, Wheeler has to save the season. So, let's say he does save the season and ties it at 3-3. Now, in Game 7, you send Ranger Suarez out there, and who would Dusty Baker send out there? 
Lance McCullers looked like he was crapping himself here. Does Dusty Baker go back to McCullers in game seven in Houston where he could be more comfortable? Or does he go, you know what? I pulled this uh, this Christian Javier out for a reason after 97 pitches. I think he's got a little left. Maybe I can start him. My guess is he'll go with McCullers. He'll back him up early with Christian Javier in game seven and then rely on his bullpen from the sixth inning on. But that's, you know, that's speculation. We got we to gotta deal with what they are right now. So let's deal with what happened last night. The Phillies hit two balls hard the whole night. Uh, one was the line drive that Segura hit to the right fielder. The other was the ball that Schwarber barely hit foul when he smashed it down the first pace line. Um, uh, are you ready for this? 89 of the Astros pitches last night. And I'm talking about Javier and the relief pitchers who came in. Boom, boom, boom. 89 were well-located four-seam fastballs. You command the fastball, you can pretty much do everything, right? So uh, he, he, what makes this guy so effective? We, we, we look, and we're going to have Brad Lidge on, folks. All right? So a little later in his podcast, Brad Lidge will explain the dynamics of what makes Christian Javier so effective. But here's what you can look at. You can look at this number and go, he gave up 29 foul balls. All right, through 97 pitches. Had he not given up those 29 foul balls, maybe he, he is short enough in pitching where he could try to pitch a nine-inning no-hitter. But it wasn't going to happen last night. But 29 foul balls tells you this. The Phillies hitters could not square the baseball. And they either weren't seeing it uh, or the stuff was so good that they couldn't get the barrel of the bat uh, on the baseball. Um, meanwhile, uh, and let's look at Christian Javier. So how, how's he doing? He throws what's called an invisible fastball. And I, I saw, I was reading, some guy described it as, uh, it's a fastball that has the precision of a scalpel and the impact of a sledgehammer. He doesn't throw that hard. He throws 94 miles an hour. But the ball gets on the hitter quickly. And there are certain pitchers that can do that. Uh, they have what they call late life, where if you throw 94 with late life, you're still as effective as 98, 99. As what he does, if you look at his delivery, he's got his glove hand when he's striding with his left leg. He's got his glove hand way in front, and so the ball is tucked behind him. It's hard to really pick up the release of the ball in that kind of a situation. By the time you pick it up, it's like halfway there. You can't track it from out of his hand. You're going to be late on it, and that's why you're going to foul balls off. Um, Harper said, you know, his 92 – Looks like 97 because he's got a good spin rate. So when he throws the fastball, you don't pick it up right away. It's got a good spin rate. It jumps on you, and it actually looks like it's rising. It's not really rising, but it stays on the same spin plane where it's not dropping down in your strike zone. I know that sounds pretty technical, but the point is I watched a couple of 93-mile-an-hour fastballs last night in the middle of the plate. They, they, they didn't see or couldn't get the barrel of bat on and fouled it off. That means they're just not seeing it. Um, he, I, this is a, 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 an analytical thing. The angle degree as it crosses the plate is minus 3.9. You know, all, all that means is that there's a slighter drop than some other pitchers would have. So that ball is staying in that slot a lot longer and it's tough to pick up. Uh, in any event, the kid was fantastic. 
Uh, if you look at him in this postseason, uh, and, and I kind of lost track of the innings, but he uh, he hasn't re- his ERA is now like point five zero or even lower than that. So this kid uh, was a stud in this postseason, and that's why I'm going to chalk this off. That's a special performance from that kid last night. That you can't say we're going to get the same kind, and this is why we're not going to hit. So let's look at what the Phillies couldn't do and what the Astros couldn't do. Because I'm watching the first couple innings. I go, you know, this Astro team just doesn't hit. And, and you know, you get into in the slumps in, in postseason and you don't think you get hit. It starts to mentally work on you where you, you try too hard to hit. And, and so we, we start in, in the first inning. The, off, the Astros offense looking kind of depleted. We all wondered what, what Nola would do in this game. And and he started off okay. He gets the first two outs, and uh, your Don Alvarez hits it hard for a single, but they then they get Bregman, who really hasn't been doing anything this series, on a ground ball to second base. All right, so far, so good. You go to the top of the second. He gives up the double to Tucker. But then, uh, and then there was a ground out. The Gorel grounds out to get him the third. They got a runner in scoring position. Uh, Vasquez gets hit by a pitch. I mean, come on, Aaron. Christian Vasquez can't hit me. Uh, but he, you, you hit him, you give him a free base. But he clutches up. He strikes out Diaz, who stinks, by the way. Dusty's got a problem with that left fielder. Anybody he tries out there stinks. But in any fa- uh, event, McCormick, Chaz, the kid from Westchester, he strikes out. They get out of it. Everything's good. The crowd's still up. Top of three. Nola goes three up, three down. Top of the four, uh, he gets two outs, two singles, but then he gets Diaz to ground out the start. Everything's still good. And then we get to the fateful fifth. McCormick hits a smash in a hole, turns out to be an infield single because Stott couldn't make a play on it. Altuve singles to left. Jeremy Pena tried to bunt with a strike on him and give himself up. Singles. Now we got bases loaded. And at that point, uh, the move has to be that you bring in Alvarado to face Guriel, and Tucker's coming up in two in two bats. It's not the it's not the bad move. You, Nola, when he loses it, he loses there. You're gonna trust Nola to to pitch to to, Al, to Alvarez in that spot. So Topper makes the move, and he hits him. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a tough spot to come in with the bases loaded, but you got to make sure that you got your control. You cannot give them a free run. He lost control of that pitch. He hits him in the back. It's one nothing. And now he's got Well, I mean, listen, no he gave up three singles. So yeah, he gave up three straight hits. At that point you go, okay, he's pretty much done. But now I got the matchup I want. I got my power lefty against their power lefty and then I got Tucker coming up in a couple ABs. You just can't hit the guy. I mean, who knows? Had he had he not hit him that for that first pitch, he jams and pops him out and gets that key out. Yeah, I, I get you. I, I get you. But but Alvarado's a veteran and he shouldn't hit a guy. All right. You, you don't expect you expect him that he's gonna throw a strike or, or get, you know, beat that guy. He's he's hit. He didn't beat him. He hit him in the in, in the back. One nothing. And then Bregman, who gives him a good at bat. Man. Two strike at bat. 
hits the ball on the outside part of the play and rifles it into the right field corner. I thought they were going to score three on that play. They only scored two. They're up three nothing. Tucker, smart hitter, knows he's got a guy on third base, sacrifice fly, make it four nothing. And then Guriel, who, who with the infield in, rips a hard ground ball for the single, makes it five nothing. And and from that point on, you sensed an energy drop in Citizens Bank ballpark. Uh, meanwhile, the Phillies offense against this guy. Um, second inning, Harper walks. Castellanos strikes out. Bohm strikes out. Harper stolen base. Gets a runner in scoring position. Stott pops out. Third inning, Marsh walks. Gift. Schwarber rips one foul. And then he strikes out. And then uh, Marsh steals on that play. And then Hoskins with a runner in scoring position on second base. He fouls out. So two innings with runners in scoring position, they squander. Fourth inning, KKK. Fifth inning, KK foul out. Sixth inning, three up, three down. And here's the question. Do you stay with Christian Javier there? And I tweeted it out as the game was going on. Most people look at it, depending if you're an old school or a new school guy. The old school guys go, yeah, it's a no-hitter. It's a once-in-a-lifetime. Now, he would have had to throw 130 pitches to finish off a no-hitter. And you just don't do that. You don't do that for a couple reasons. Number one, he's probably going to wear out and you're going to bang him around later in the game. Number two is, if you send him 130 pitches, then you got he's done for the rest of the series when you can't use him at all. So, uh, Dusty Baker, he comes in after that inning. Kid's got a no-hitter, but there's 97 pitches on the board. Dusty hugs him. That's the end. And he could hug him because he's got bowls coming out. So he brings this nasty Brian Abreu in here. And my God, Brian Abreu just blows them down. K, K, K. Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. He brings Marrero in. K, fly out. Segura hit it hard. Line drive to right field. Of course, in the ninth inning, K, walk, fly out, ground out against Presley. And that, that's all she wrote. And so right now, the Houston Astros have a little bit of new life as they go back uh, to Citizens Bank Ballpark tonight and, and try to seal out uh, this uh, game five and take a 3-2 lead as they go into uh, back to Houston. But they are going back to Houston. And last night, you wanted to prevent that. That's why last night's game was so important to win to take a 3-1 lead. And a lot of people are thinking that's the only way the Phillies can win the series. Uh, listen, right now, I don't know if they can win the series. I, 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 this game is so problematic for me when you have to use your bullpen against Justin Verlander. Guy's been there before against a team that has a pedigree. He's probably salivating to think that the Syndergaard is going to try to get three innings and then the bullpen is going to come in and try to get him out. I got to think Houston's got uh, uh, a, a huge momentum advantage in their heads that way, thought process-wise. So, uh, Darren, I'll ask you, how do you see the series now? Did they lose the series by losing last night? It all depends. See, here's <laughs> – all right. So I'm kind of where you are. Um, I I don't think they lost the series last night for this reason. We all said – we all believed – you and I had this discussion, got to take two out of three in Philly. Of course, nobody wanted to go back to Houston. But if you can find a way to win this game tonight – and all their top – the top – End of the pen is fresh. You got two innings from anybody you want tonight. Even Eflin, uh, I think, who pitched last night a little bit. So they can win this game tonight. If they win this game tonight, I'm confident in either Wheeler, 
rearing back and finding a couple more miles per hour on his velo and or Ranger in game seven. I told you before, I've been telling you all week, Ranger's the only pitcher I have full confidence in right now. Um, I don't know who they throw at him in game seven. I mean, the Astros are to be, it's all hands on deck. Find a way to win tonight, but I agree with you. You lose tonight, it's over. Oh, let's look at it then, because Syndergaard's not going to get past three. Let's say he's successful in three. Does he give you three? I mean, that's my well, thing. That's what I'm I, saying. Let's just say he's successful in three. In the fourth inning, who do you go to? Uh, I'd probably go to Eflin in the fourth inning. He pitched late last night, though. Maybe it's Gibson early. Maybe it's Gibson that follows Syndergaard. I don't want to see Gibson tonight. I mean, there's too many good arms in that pen to see Gibson, unless they're losing seven to two. Maybe it's Brogdon. He didn't pitch last night. It could be Brogdon after Syndergaard. But it might be Gibson. Gibson, they might have to rely on Gibson to give him two innings to get to the fifth. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's a really interesting series right now. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, joining the Mike Missanelli Podcast today, and we are delighted to have him, one of the great closers in Philly history, and who will ever forget the mound pose after the final out to clinch the 2008 World Series, the Phillies beating the Tampa Bay Rays. He's the great Brad Lidge joining us. How you doing today, Brad? Uh, hey, listen, I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm very excited for this Game 5 coming up, and uh, hopefully some better things in store for the Phillies tonight. But, uh, you know, hey, I think if nothing else, we've learned uh, the Astros are a pretty good team. They are a very good team. First of all, let me just say, I, I really enjoy the Loud Out show. I've been listening to a lot of it. And you and C.J. Dukowski make a great pair, and then whoever else is on, Franson pops in there or whatever. You're doing a great job with that. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I've been doing it um, for a few years now, and uh, it's one of those deals where I can do it out of my, my basement, you know, pretty much a soundproof room. And, uh, you know, the hours are great back in Colorado, so uh, it works out well for me and my family, and I just got fortunate to uh, find something that keeps me in the game uh, but doesn't drive me crazy. Awesome. Now, uh, of course, the interesting thing about you is you have this kind of Astros Phillies pedigree here. I- I'm guessing you're slanted more towards the Phillies. The last few days, you've been hanging out with your old mates at Citizens Bag Park and tonight throwing out the, the first pitch. Uh, so are-, are you more Philly at this point than Astro? Um, I am more Philly than Astro. I think I can say that and uh, say it with no reservations. You know, I Enjoyed my time. I enjoyed my time, my my memories, my teammates, everything with the Astros. You know, I was real fortunate to come up in that organization with uh, some incredible veteran players. You know, uh, Killer Bees, Baggio, uh, Biggio Bagwell, Lance Berkman, uh, Brad Osmus, our catcher. Billy Wagner was my mentor in the bullpen. So I had unbelievable veterans around me. And then, of course, Clemens came and Pettit and Jeff Kent. So there's like a lot of these kind of fringe Hall of Famers, or in my opinion, some of them definite Hall of Famers. Uh, that that I got to play with so you know nothing but great memories there and I appreciate them and everything else but yeah when it comes down to it you know I didn't win a world series there and the fans in Houston I'm just gonna say it they're not the same as the ones in Philly and uh, I I've uh, I would just say that when I retired you know the Phillies reached out to me right away hey listen we want to retire you as a Philly Um, you know they've taken care of us and our family Deb Deb Nacito over there at the uh, alumni uh, department. She she kills it. It's the best alumni network uh, I think there is in baseball. So we all get to hang out a ton because of that. And it just makes it feel like, uh, you know, the Phillies are part of my family. Uh, so tonight, throwing out the first pit, I, they haven't said who's catching you, but I got to think it's a, if Chooch is still in town, you're throwing the Chooch tonight, right? Am I right? 
Well, there's, you know, some things are still supposed to be a little bit surprising. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm not supposed to say much, um, you know, about the first pitch or anything else. I've but, already read it on social media, Brad. You, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being on social media, it must be true. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's got, so then it's got to be true. So then my next question is, are you going to throw him a slider? Yeah, actually, um, I would just say that, uh, you know, there's a, if I go all the way back to the mound, it's a slider's a high risk, high reward pitch and <laughs> it can definitely in there, jump up, hit him in the teeth or something. So I think, uh, I think I want to do my best to make sure I get a strike in there. I mean, there are a lot of batting practice to 13 year olds. So like from 45 feet, I'm dialed in it's an animal. So I got to make sure I do my best to not get anyone hurt. Yeah. They're probably not going to make you throw from the rubber tonight anyway. So the 45 might work for you perfectly. Um, uh, all right, so let me, let's get into the crux of this series. Because last night, it really sucked the life out of the Philadelphia crowd that had been so special. When, when somebody throws a no-no at you, it, it has a way of you know da- putting put a damper on, on your enthusiasm. So uh, right now, with, with the Astros and what they did last night, where does the series stand in your mind? Did the Astros regain the edge last night? Um, I don't think they regained the edge, but I would say that they absolutely um, showed that they are I mean, look, we, we knew they were for real. We knew they were a great team. I mean, goodness. And I, I think that they just kind of reminded everyone, kind of a sobering game, like if the right things happen, if the right combination of events happen, that's, you know, they can go out there and shut down anybody. Uh, obviously, Christian Javier was electric. And those guys, those three guys that came out of the bullpen haven't given up many runs all year. It's, a, it's just a reminder that the Phillies need to jump out in front and, uh, you know, have some fun with stuff. And, and, you know, then the fans get in the game and everything else. So I think for game five, you know, that's the key, right? Philly's got to get out in front and uh, get the fans into it, put some pressure on the Astros. But it's a it's a reminder that they are a great team, that they have, you know, top to bottom, great lineup, great rotation, great bullpen, uh, but they're not bulletproof. And, uh, you know, the Phillies, if they have an off day, they have an off day. So um, it's one game. It is, you know, whatever. It's historic and everything else. But if you're the Phillies, just like the Astros in game three, you say, hey, it's one game. Uh, might as well, you know, have lost 15 to nothing. It just, it's just counts for one. So that's how you got to look at it and then uh, jump back out in there today. Yeah. And baseball really doesn't carry over. I know a lot of people think that like in baseball is a momentum swing, but they're really, it's an individual game. You try to forget it. You got a different pitcher, you're facing a different pitcher. Uh, and, and pretty much baseball players have shorter memories than most other professional athletes. Do you agree with that? I really think so. And I think that that momentum thing completely, I've seen in my career, it is completely overrated. And I would just say, uh, you know, the old baseball adage, you know, momentum is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. And I think that's so, so true. I mean, look at all the momentum the Phillies had, and then Javier goes out there and shuts them down. And uh, you know what? The, the Phillies have hit Verlander before. He's not done great in the World Series, and he's frankly hasn't done great in the postseason. So, um, you know, this is somebody that the Phillies can get after, and I think they feel way more confident with him. Javier's difficult task because it's not like it, it, they haven't seen him a ton, and he's kind of got this uh, – you know, mojo going and stuff. But I think, uh, you know, he's kind of out of there now. I mean, they might see him out of the bullpen in game seven, but probably not. Uh, I talk about him a little bit, but the, the pitching matchup that you brought up uh, it certainly favors the Astros, even if Verlander isn't the, the top Verlander. Uh, they're going to have to uh, get through this game of the bullpen uh, and a start by a guy who hasn't thrown more than 45 pitches in the postseason in, in Noah Syndergaard. So um, how does this play out for the Phillies? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the ideal scenario is Syndergaard gets through the lineup once. Um, you know, three innings, that would be great. I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe he can throw into the fourth inning if he's doing well. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes guys just kind of have it. They, you know, he, he came out his last game, had a great sinker. And, you know, I think he could have gone another inning or two, to be honest. But I know that wasn't Rob Thompson's plan. And I know that, you know, you don't want to take any chances right now. If Syndergaard goes out there and gives them three innings, they'll be all right. They'll be able to stitch it together. I, I think the bullpen for the Phillies right now uh, has been doing a fantastic job. Those guys are comfortable and they're, they're confident. Uh, wherever they're pitching in the game. So a bullpen game for the Phillies is just fine. I mean, the key is, again, you know, they got to get some runs off early in, early in the game, and that will put a ton of pressure on the Astros. All right. Uh, uh, let's look at, at, at Christian Javier, because from a pitcher standpoint, I, w- I want you to explain uh, what it is he has. He's got uh, late life, and, and he's got uh, – it looks like, uh, like his ball stays in plane, and uh, he, he gets away with 93, and the ball jumps on people. Like – explain to me his success and how he throws and what makes him so successful. Well, and, and, you know, he's, first of all, he's done it all year long. So, you know, this isn't just like he brought out something nasty for the Phillies. He's been doing this all year long. Um, he basically has a fastball that, yeah, you said it planes out and it has uh, I think they measured some kind of crazy 12 inch vertical, uh, you know, spin rate on it, which essentially amounts to where you think the ball is going to come in. If you think it's coming in by your knee, it's going to end up by your quad. Uh, about a foot higher than you think. So it's really, really hard to get on top of. And that's why, you know, at one point in the game, you had like nine strikeouts and six fly balls, but no ground balls because you're always swinging underneath it. You're either going to pop it up or you're going to swing and miss. Um, and it's really hard. So, okay, just swing a little bit higher. But you can't, I mean, hitters see what they see and they swing at it. Uh, and every once in a while, you get a guy that, that uh, just, he kind of defies gravity a little bit or defies logic. And uh, he, he kind of did that last night. Yeah, yeah, it's really amazing. They fouled 29 balls off last night. So that tells you they weren't getting the barrel to it and they weren't picking it up. But whatever it is this guy does, it's hard to pick up. And he's got that that le- that glove on his left hand that he kind of thrusts forward and maybe hides it a little bit. You can't really see where it's coming out of his hand. Yeah, the, he throws kind of a, a little bit funky mechanics, kind of a low three-quarter slot. Um, and I think, I mean, honestly, like, you know, sometimes when guys are over the top, they're able to have uh, a lot more carry on the ball, but hitters are used to that. When you have like kind of a low three quarter slot, uh, the way he does or three quarter slot, you're normally throwing a sinker and, uh, that's what hitters are used to seeing. He throws his three quarter slot and he throws a ball that stays up, uh, very different than a sinker. So he just, he's just not a very orthodox pitcher at all. He does things very differently and unique. And uh, at this time of year, when you've got your habits ingrained for, you know, Starting in February, it's very it's very difficult all of a sudden to make an adjustment off of uh, something you've never seen before. Uh, let, let's look at um, Wheeler now uh, because they're going to have to get a great star from him in game six. And I think the Phillies are telling the world they're kind of afraid of him because they keep wanting to give him extra rest. And they see, they've seen his velocity dip a little bit. He might be a little worn out. Uh, what are you seeing with him right now? Well, I, I have to say I am a little bit worried. Um, you know, it, it is definitely concerning when – uh, all of a sudden, your velocity dips a little bit when you know, all of a sudden he starts throwing more off-speed pitches his last outing. Um, hitters see that, too, of course. And so I think they get more aggressive. They become more confident. And it's not a great thing right now for the Phillies. I don't know if he is, if his arm is just tired and that extra day is going to do him great. Um, or, you know, frankly, if he's maybe battling through something and he's just not going to be able to get over that. And it's, he's just going to have to deal with the best he's got out there, which is, you know, definitely uh, a different pitcher. Uh, so that's a that's tough. Um, and I think, uh, you know, for the Phillies, they just got to cross their fingers and hopefully he's feeling good. Obviously, they're not going to say much right now. We don't know if he's hurting bad or if he's just tired. So, you know, that message shouldn't be out there. I, I get it. Um, but but the Phillies are going to need him to be 95 percent or better because, uh, you know, his last outing, he definitely was, I don't know, 90 percent. And it wasn't it wasn't the same guy. 
Uh, if this gets to a game seven, uh, I'm curious to know how you would play this. Uh, we, we already know Ranger Suarez is going to pitch game seven for the Phillies, and then they're going to figure it out. Uh, but Lance McCullers really looked jelly-legged uh, in his last start. And uh, maybe it's because it was at Citizens Bank Park, but it, it was such a, a bad performance that I don't know if I would trust him to throw a game seven, even though it's at home. What do you, what do you see with him? Well, if, if they don't tell him, you know, how he's tipping his pitches, then he should, you know, he shouldn't have been pitching past inning number two in that last game. Uh, you know, Fox, John Smoltz is talking about it. If we're all talking about it in the player suite, uh, the Astros should be aware that he was tipping his pitches. And they let him run out there and, you know, to the tune of five home runs. That was crazy to me. Um, you know, that being said, I'm sure that they're well aware of it now. I'm sure that he is well aware of it. And uh, it's not an easy thing always to do to change mechanics on the fly and, and you know, change what he was doing that was uh, uh, that was showing those, those pitches being tipped because now you got to change your mechanics a little bit. You might not be quite as comfortable. It's normally supposed to be an adjustment that takes a couple weeks. If I'm the Astros, you know, I got to see him throw a really good bullpen and, and, and clean up that, uh, that pitch tipping that he was doing where he was, you know, opening up his glove and putting it a little bit higher on his uh, – on his slider than he was on his fastball. If, they, if he doesn't change that, I don't know how they could let him go back out there. So um, that's that's what I would have to see if I was the Astros. So you guys were seeing that from watching the game. You, you were seeing oh, yeah. him tipping his pitches. So so explain to the people what he was doing exactly. Yeah, well, we were seeing, first of all, I saw, you know, Bryce tell something to Bohm and uh, like everybody, right? And so, you know, it's uh, then that indicates, okay, we should be looking for something because he must be doing something that Bryce is picking up. And uh, he basically was doing two things. His his front leg he was lifting up uh, was going uh, higher on his fast or higher on his slider as his, was his glove in his hands when he lifted up that when he lifts up his leg for that balance point. Uh, whereas when he's throwing a fastball, he keeps it lower and he keeps his glove lower. So it's while it's not a dramatic uh, difference, it's enough for a hitter uh, to be able to see and to get a, a lot more confident that look if you're telling me you know off speed or fastball and he's really a two pitch pitcher he, he's in trouble. <laughs> that's amazing that you guys could pick that up right, right, right away. I know Pedro Martinez was was saying it on the on the show as well. Uh, let's let me take you back to 2008 because obviously uh, when people think of 2008, they, they you're one of the prominent thoughts that they have in there. So uh, in general, I mean, what you did that year is like just phenomenal. I can't imagine the 48 for 48. But what what was that playing on that team like as far as the efficiency and what, having guys that were just gamers and everybody hit and you got the right pitching it was almost like a, a perfect storm that year so tell me what that was like yeah it, it really was I mean I, I think one people don't realize is just how good the defense was on that team that year I mean guys like Pedro Feliz uh, at third base like you know most people don't think about him at the time but he's one of the best defensive third baseman he was automatic um, every time out there and so you look around the rest of the infield, there's gold glovers. Uh, you got Chooch in the backstops. So you can bounce as many sliders as you want, and he's going to block them all. Um, and I just think that, you know, beyond that, we had a, a very underappreciated bullpen in front of me. Uh, I never had to throw the eighth inning one single time that entire year. And that just shows you how, you know, Chad Durbin, Ryan Madsen, uh, J.C. Romero were just taking care of business. Clay Condry, Scott Ayer, all those guys out there uh, were just fantastic for us all year. And so I don't think they get recognized quite enough. You look at the numbers they threw out there. Everybody was throwing a lot and everybody was doing their job. And that allowed me to, you know, have the easiest closing job in baseball that year. Plus, you know, the great defense. So uh, it was kind of a perfect storm. It was the bridge to Lidge. Uh, Massive was unhittable. And J.C. Romero had a year of his life. And, and you're right, Durbin, 
Durbin's ERA was pretty good that year coming in. He he came in with a lot of inherited runners that year and and, and quelled it. That's it. I mean, you have to have that guy that can come out there. And when runners are on base, you know, throw that cutter in at that lefty's hands and blow him up a little bit and either get that infield pop-up or a ground ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get turned a double play and you're out of the innings. Uh, I, I don't think people realize how important that is to have a guy like that that you know is going to go out there and get the job done. Um, it allows the score, even if you're behind, it allows the score to say the same. I remember Jimmy Rollins saying this. He was like, look, he's like, you guys, he's like, if you guys can just, even if they get out to a lead, if you guys can just keep it at 4-2 or whatever, we're going to come back. We're going to score runs. So you guys, somebody out in that bullpen is going to get a win. And and that's what we did really well, I think, is those guys in front of me would, went out there and they held the score where it was. Yeah, I heard your interview with Chad. We had actually had Chad on the podcast last week. I heard your interview with him, and uh, it was funny how de- de- deprecating he is, but he had a good year. <clears throat> he, he had a great year. Uh, you're talking, you said Durbin, right? Yeah, yeah, Durbin. Yeah, great year. And, you know, uh, as I said, you know, a lot of times, I mean, look, relievers, if you're not closing the game, a lot of times you don't get the love that uh, other positions might. But those guys are obviously vital to any team's success. And you see how bullpens are constituted now. I mean, you have to have three or four or five elite arms out there. And that's what teams count on. But uh, we didn't have, you know, necessarily, I mean, Cole could go deep in the game. But, you know, we didn't necessarily have a ton of guys, ton of starters on our team that year that went deep in the game. So we had, it was even more important for those guys to be able to stitch together sixth, seventh inning. Um, and I know Derbs is self-deprivating, but he is, uh, he's had a hell of a year that year. We're talking to Brad Lynch. Brad, let me just quickly talk about your resurgence in baseball because you obviously you follow Billy Wagner and they're comfortable with you and your lights out and the slider is just off the charts. And then uh, the the home run happens with pool holes. And I'm I'm curious to know, like, how how much did that set you back and how long did it take for you to recover from that? Because the Phillies obviously thought you were going to recover from it. They believed in you and and bang, you reestablished yourself as the great closer. But take me to that moment and how you rebounded from that. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't easy, that's for sure. Um, you know, especially 2006, I think, was you know the year after. And just every time you don't pitch well, everyone's saying, oh, it's because of, you know, something that happened in 05. And, you know, whether it's true or not, it's just becomes the label. And you feel like you're always, you know, kind of battling a, a lot of different elements when you're out there. So, you know, closing is a tough job. And I've got to experience, obviously, all the highs and lows of it. Uh, but you need, just like any position in baseball, you need to be comfortable when you're out there. You need to feel confident and uh, you need to have, you know, a, a great team behind you to do well. And, and I had that with the Astros and especially with the Phillies, but uh, it was not easy. You know, I had, I was battling through 06, I think somewhere in 07, I was like, all right, enough's enough. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go right after guys. And, and uh, you know, I kind of had that mentality. Like I was, I was like, screw it. You know, I'm going to do this for myself now. I can't, uh, you know, try and do this for other people or whatever. And I think as soon as I kind of got into that mindset, um, I started having a lot better results in 07. And I think that's what the Phillies, when they were scouting me, um, I remember talking to uh, Kerfeld and some of these guys, and they were scouting me at the end of the year. They were like, you know, you were looking as good as you ever had. Uh, but but that uh, that label had already been put on you, uh, that you weren't that you weren't the same guy. But, but you know, they saw that I was, and, and uh, so they, that's why they made that trade. The slide, your slider was amazing in that you threw it in a lot of different ways. They, people look at the slider and it, it it cuts one way and it's got good action away from a right-handed hitter. You used to back up your slider a little bit too. You threw it a lot of different ways. How how did you f- figure that part of it out? Yeah, that's a good question. So interestingly, when I had my real good mechanics, my slider was pretty standard. It was a good pitch. It was a tight slider, but it had that traditional break. Um, and I would throw that early in the count just to establish it for a strike. 
And then as the at-bat went on, I would try and kind of open up intentionally a little bit. My mechanics would would suffer, but what would happen is my fingers would get more on top of the ball. And when they're on top of the ball, it would create more of a 12-6 to six break, more of a top-to-bottom break as opposed to kind of a sweeping away from a right-hander. And so it would have more of that kind of dive on it. And I was just talking to Jimmy Rollins about it the other day. He's like, he's like, Do you, he's like I, you still call that a slider. He's like, that's not a split finger, right? And I was like, no, it's a slider. It's a slider, but... I just threw it a couple different ways. And I think as my career went on, um, I really started to feel it out of my hand and know that, you know, where my mechanics needed to be to get a certain type of break on it. Yeah, you, you know, the the celebration thing where you get down on your knees and choose piles on top of you. And there was all that talk about, oh, my God, that hurt him. That hurt his knees. You know, and you always dispelled that. But, like, t- take me to that moment. And, and did you actually get hurt on that? Well, I don't think I actually got hurt on that. I, I would tell you that um, it probably didn't do me any favors, but I had I've, my left knee. I've had uh, five surgeries. So, you know, in 2009, the next year I was I was awful, but I had a torn meniscus the whole year. I tried to change my mechanics and everything else, and it was just uh, it, it, it just didn't go well. But that being said, you know, I've had several surgeries on it since then, but I had one on it before then. So uh, it wasn't from that. It was just uh, I got a crappy knee is what it comes down to. <laughs> um- Explain to me the bond you guys have. You're all back now, and I love it because they've been trying out you guys all week, and and fans just love it because it was such a memory for them and a parade and a whole bit. But when you play with a team that wins like that, it's a bond that kind of you've created forever, and you almost become brothers in time. Yeah, and again, you know, the Phillies alumni is is such a strong program that uh, uh, that we see each other probably a ton more maybe than other you know. World Series champions might on different teams, and and because of that, we uh you know we we do have that type bond. It is like family, and we all text each other and say hey and, and everything else. So, um, we do have a little bit different, I, I think, feeling than maybe some other World Series champion teams in other cities might. Uh, you know, it's Philly's different. You know, it's it's the greatest city in the world. I mean, you, you get the Flyers going through the airport, you know, wearing, wearing Phillies jerseys. All the other teams are on board when when one team is doing great. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm from Colorado. I don't, I don't think the avalanche even know that they, there's a baseball team out there. Um, so it's just a different feel. I feel like we're more family and I feel like the fans are a part of that as well. So it is uh it is a brotherly bond for sure with, with my 08 teammates. I, I, I listen, the, the last game against Tampa Bay, uh, that stadium was volcanic. Uh, when, yeah. when, as you're studying these games that are happening and, and you have great perspective on it. I know all the people at MLB network ask you about it. Uh, is is this more volcanic than what you guys even experienced? I think game three may have been for for game three or for a game that isn't the whole clinching thing. Uh, that's as loud as I've ever heard a stadium. I, granted, I was in the stands and not like down on the field, but I've never heard a stadium like that. I mean, when Bryce hit that home run early in the game, it was that stadium popped. Um, so I, I would just say this: if uh, you know, unfortunately, the Phillies won't be winning it at home. You know, they'll have to go to Houston and do it. But uh, that, I think the fans in game three, that's the loudest non-clinching game has to be that we've ever heard. The, the feeling of a pitcher, like when, when that's volcanic like that, and you have to focus, can you possibly shut that out or do you use it? Well, you have to figure out how to do both. Uh, I think you have to figure out how to let it in a little bit at home. Um, you're obviously blocking it out on the road, uh, but at home you want to let a little bit in to kind of jump up that adrenaline meter, but not to the point where you're, uh, you know, thinking about it or, or, you know, somehow out of your element. I think it, you know, you feel the vibration going on, you feel that energy, you know, the field feels like it's 
buzzing. Um, and that's good. I mean, you want it, you want to be able to take some of that in and that, uh, in, and that can elevate you even higher. So, uh, but you just can't, obviously you can't just get out there and, you know, let it eat as, as much as you feel like doing Even though you feel like you can run through a brick wall, uh, you can't go out there and make mistakes. And, you know, just cause you have that extra adrenaline, try and throw it extra hard and all of a sudden miss one down the middle. I gotcha. Uh, all right. So the last thing is the, I know you got a Notre Dame homie, uh, on the Phillies right now you're rooting for, but I, I'm wondering how you're feeling about the, the football season. And uh, the Notre Dame transition there. I, I you know, it's a big Notre Dame fan. I know you have a heavy heart when they don't win. Well, you know, it's uh, it's tough to watch this year. I'm not going to lie, but I do love their head coach, and I and I feel like the players love him and trust him. And it it it'll take a little bit of time, a little transition. I mean, he's going to have a couple years, but you know, you also have new quarterbacks and injuries and everything else, and it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to do uh, to be Notre Dame and to go into every season. I I mean, I'll just say it, they're they're. You know, they're overranked every year going into the season. I, I feel like it just doesn't do them any service. And, and I know it's good for college football when they're up in that top five. But, man, I, I just don't think it's a, it's doing them many favors. And uh, I would rather them start 15 and work their way up, you know. But uh, uh, but that being said, it is a tough year, and, and hopefully that adjustment will happen soon. Do you get all sappy when you watch Rudy? Because <laughs> uh, no. I got to be honest. I, people not connected to Notre Dame, that movie makes them sick, to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I I don't get all uh, too mushy over that one. I, uh, you know, it's it's good. Well, I haven't seen it in a while. I mean, it's a, it's a good one for sure. Good flick. But uh, I, I get it when people get tired of movies like that. Who was the head coach when you were there? Head football coach? I had the Colts. Um, uh, my freshman year was, oh, was Lou. Lou. And it okay. Was, yep, yep. It was incredible. We uh, we reached number one uh, in the polls that year. And uh uh, yeah, I got to, I got to talk to him a little bit and just, uh, you know, fans just doing their Lou, Lou, you know, cheers the whole time. <laughs> the double L's are pretty cool. Uh, stuff. Listen, Brad, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you spending some time with us and, and throwing out that first pitch tonight. I, I want to see a different slider. I, I want you to test shoot. She hasn't probably caught in a long time. I want you to twist them up a little bit tonight. Well, I mean, I, I have no doubt he'll block it, whatever I throw in there, but that <laughs> slider comes out of my arm. It's going to bounce. So we got uh, to. All right. So with. just a quick prediction. Who are you favoring right now? Be, to be to be serious about like what the Phillies have to do here. I got to think that the Astros have the edge. It's a slight one. Well, I think the Phillies win tonight. I, I really do. Okay. And I, think, I think it's going to be tough to beat the Astros in game six. Uh, but I do think the Phillies win in seven games. We'll have Ranger Suarez back on the bump in game seven. I think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to wow. take seven. People are in for a treat tonight. Game That's five right. win, according to Brad Lynch. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. Listen, great. Thank you, and I appreciate it. All right, guys. You bet. Have a good one. Thanks, Brad. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Okay. There is another game tonight going head-to-head with your fighting fills. Your Philadelphia Eagles, 7-0. and haven't been talked about at all this week because it's World Series. But uh, you got a little uh, uh, mano a mano tonight. If you're watching the Eagles and the Phillies, you got the Eagles against the Texans on Amazon Prime. You got the ball game on Fox. I will be doing the Eagles post game show with one eye on the Eagles and uh, one eye on the baseball game. Uh, but this is not about me. This is about the Eagles being a solid double digit favorite against a crappy team. There's no way that this could be a trouble spot for the Eagles. 
uh, against the Texans. Uh, so let's let's look at uh, what we have here. Jalen Hurts, for my money, may have had his best game last week. 140.6 rating last week. And the connection to A.J. Brown was unstoppable. Two of them, he threw dimes to A.J. Brown. The other one, A.J. Brown made the play where he kind of took it away from two defenders. But this kid is is really impressing every week now. And there's no reason to think he's not going to be impressive against this team. Um, A.J., 156 yards last week. 26 yards per catch average and three TDs. So let's look at the Houston pass defense. Um, Houston pass defense, not great. It's a 76.7 rating. Uh, it's 60.2 completion percentage. This is what their, their uh, secondary and their defense holds passing games to. Uh, they've allowed five TDs, and uh, they've got seven interceptions. It's okay. It, it's not you know at the top of the league, but it would be okay. Now, versus the run, they're not real good at all. So. It, what would be the Eagles game plan tonight? I, I would establish the run a little bit and then uh, work the pass because they're giving up 5.6 yards per carry with the run. That's second worst in the NFL. I'm smelling a big night by Miles Sanders. Um, for the Texans, Damian Pierce, the running back, is is their key weapon. He's averaging 77 yards a game, and the Texans are going to need to run the football against the Eagles uh, defense. Um, Jordan Davis not in there tonight. So maybe the Eagles are a little susceptible to Texans rushing attack. The Steelers. Mike, I have an update on Jordan okay. Davis, by the way. He has been placed on IR four weeks, four games he will miss. Yeah, it's probably more than right. four. The high ankle sprain, too. And we all knew it, and they just didn't want to give it up. I don't know why they wanted to play, uh, play that uh, uh, with their fans. But last week, the Steelers. Gained 144 yards on the ground against the Eagles. That's uh, That was six yards per carry. That's not good. Uh, so the Eagles have not been that great against the run. So you got Damian Pierce as your top weapon, and you got Davis Mills as your quarterback who stinks. Uh, you probably should run the ball. Um, Davis Mills, um, 66, 7.6 rating so far uh, this year. 5.4 yards per attempt. Uh, 10 interceptions and he's facing one of the top passing defenses in the league. So uh, I'm not feeling Davis is, is going to pick him apart tonight. So I got the Eagles tonight. Let's see. You want to score? How about if I go th- 35 to 13 tonight for the Eagles in a romp? That sounds about right. There's two things I think about right lately when it comes to the, to the, uh, the differential and scoring. Um, by, by the way, in second quarter, I think they're like plus 200 in point differential. It's some insane number. Uh, the first is, is in 2004, when they were rolling teams, they started off seven and zero. Vegas could not catch up to them. The line didn't catch up to them till like week nine or 10, with the exception of the that week eight loss to Pittsburgh. The other thing is what in Super Bowl 52 and two, after the 18th season, when Peterson and Belichick are at midfield. Before the game, the very first thing that Belichick says to Peterson is, I've been trying to find tape of you guys trailing so that I could see how you guys react when you're losing. And I couldn't find any tape of you all year where you were trailing. And that's this team again. They don't trail in any game. And there's few teams left. I think they'll even have a lead on them. So, I mean... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, tonight, it's hard to take tonight's game seriously. It really is. Uh, so uh, more eyeballs will be on the Phillies, and I think people will check back in uh, with the uh, uh, with the Philadelphia uh, Eagles game. Uh, all right, it, it is since we're talking football, and since this is a Thursday, we do this every Thursday, uh, where I, I give you my picks of the week. Now, uh, I had no one and two week last week, so I'm – I'm inching towards 500. I'm still two above 500. I am 17 and 15 on the year. I took an L with Iowa State last week, but Kansas State was my big winners. They smashed Oklahoma. And then the Raiders, I, you know, I, I, I'll never bet that team again. I know you like them this week, don't you? You like the Raiders? Don't you tell me you like the Raiders against Jacksonville? No. No? Okay. No, that wasn't me. I don't. I did Raider team. First of all, there's a couple teams in the league, and this is, we talked about the Raiders, but it's that they're one of the teams that really made the wrong choice for a new head coach. The Saints, I don't know what they were thinking, bringing Dennis Allen back, and or or promoting him rather. And but the Raiders are the other. Yeah, I, mean, I can't from week to week. I can't tell what they are. I'll never bet them again. So I took two losses out of state Raiders. I got the win with Kansas State. So I'm going to go to college again. Again, for me, college is easier. And picking pros. So let me start off with Oklahoma. Now, I Oklahoma's been in my picks for three straight weeks. And, and they get my attention. Here's why. They got smoked 42 to nothing last week by Kansas State. They come in this week as a favorite versus Baylor. At home against Baylor, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And Baylor's been playing good football. I'll take Oklahoma to bounce back. That's a bounce back line at their favorite after getting smoked 42 to nothing. So I'll play that one. Then I'll go to TCU and very under the radar team this year. What are they? The Horn Frogs? What, what the TCUers, the, the, <laughs> the fighting Jalen Ragers <clears throat> versus Texas Tech. The Horn Frogs minus nine against the Red Raiders of Texas Tech at home. I will take TCU, baby. All right, so that's TCU Oklahoma College. And in the pros, the Atlanta Falcons are getting way too ahead. John Chaney was saying, you're not telling a good team to smell themselves. And they're not that good. Uh, they're close to being atop the division, if not topping the division. Um, I think they're on borrowed time. And the Chargers are a three-point favorite at... Atlanta this week. I will take the Chargers. It's a line that tells me a little something. Chargers favored Atlanta. I think they bust the Atlanta bubble this week. I'll take the Chargers minus three. So those are my picks of the week. Good luck to you if you're going to play those particular games. All right. It's time for my parting shot today on the Mike Missinelli podcast. Again, we are sponsored by Bet Rivers. And of course, for those picks, don't forget to download the Bet Rivers app. I highly recommend it. It's very easy to play. It's very convenient. You got live in-game events. You got prop bets. You got all the great lines for football and any other sport you want. So uh, download the Bet Rivers app and make it easy on yourself. Uh, the podcast ends with a parting shot today on a Thursday. Two things. Uh, number one, I'm walking into the ballpark last night. And uh, I look at there's a big glass window I see on the other side uh, are the, the elevators where the special people are going up to their suites. Who do I see? Kate Upton. 
Kate Upton rocking the Houston Astros baseball jacket. And and Darren, listen, I, maybe I imagined this. I thought she looked at me and gave me like a little bit of a wink. <laughs> you got to be honest with you. You had a little connection, did you? I thought I, I, th- I, thought I caught a little eyeball. <laughs> For those who can't, but, anyway. can't see us, but we're both pointing to our eyes right now. She gave you that look. Right, so she's been here all week, but with her man uh, Justin Verlander. So I don't know if that's good or bad for him. Now, here's really my parting shot. I've been watching a lot of MLB Network. I've been listening to a lot of MLB Radio Network Radio, uh, and they're on the field. And I am stunned by the fact that they all these players that they're getting uh, to interview before the game, and I don't like it. I don't like it for the Phillies' sake. I saw, I thought they were a little too cavalier on that field last night. They were feeling a little too good about themselves. They did that five home run, and they were making themselves available. I see Bryson Stock going over there. I see this guy going over there. They're yucking it up with the MLB guys, Harold Reynolds and, and whoever else was on that panel. Um, and I'm going, I don't really like this. And then they're shooting video of the guys on the field, and uh, they're playing Frisbee. Dominguez is throwing a Frisbee out there. And and I go, this is a ball game. This is the World Series. Fellas, button that up a little bit. I know you got some demands. I know Major League Baseball wants you to give interviews, uh, wants you to come off as human. I I don't like it. Let's let's pay attention to the routine. And the routine before World Series game shouldn't be walking over to Harold Reynolds and company and and being glibby gabby. So that's my parting shot for today. Are you feeling it, Darren? Uh, they they got to win tonight. Got to win tonight. Let me tell you something, man. I haven't slept well All in right. weeks. Win the game tonight. You know, your parting shot is just fine. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on this. Tonight. Yeah? Yeah. Stay away from the interviews. Hey, you got, you got a ball game to win. Stay away from the interviews, okay? No. Uh, well, I don't care what goodness. Harold Reynolds wants to ask me. Or, you know, who the other guy was? Cameron Mabin. Cameron Maben. That's blame Major League Baseball. Oh, you got to blame. People have said this to me and, and bitch about the same thing you're whining about, too. And it's Major League Baseball's fault because of the TV contracts. They want the networks want all this extra access to them. And I agree with you. It is annoying. I don't want to see it either. But it's, uh, don't blame I, the Phillies. Don't blame the players. Blame Major League Baseball. I'm just saying a little too glib, a little too glib, glibby gabby. Well, you know, turn down an interview or two. Let's go. Focus. Do another calisthenic if you have to. Do some long toss. You know, get ready for the game. Duck in the clubhouse. Get prepared. All right. That's going to do it today for uh, today's podcast. I want to thank Brad Lidge for joining the show. This is podcast episode number 19. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors about the Mike Missinelli podcast. We're getting a lot of acclaim out there, and you need to catch up. We've done 19. Now, we are scheduled probably at this point to do eight. But we have done a podcast every day because the World Series bring you fresh reaction from everybody, and uh, we hope you like it. So it's the Mike Missinelli podcast. You can download it and, and get it on any podcast network, including Apple iTunes, including Spotify, including Amazon, including um, YouTube, uh, including Google. You can find it. Don't get confused. Podcasts are easy to find this day. And, and if you even want to do it, because a lot of people say, well, I really miss you on the radio at 2 o'clock. Put the damn podcast on at 2 o'clock. Let me accompany you in your car by just putting on the podcast.
And soon we'll have video to go along with it too. You'll be able to watch us like uh, you used to watch. They used to watch you. Once the video gets going, that's that's right. We're gonna have videos soon. You can watch me, you can watch my expressions, and, and the whole bit. <laughs> so uh, everybody have a great rest of the night. Let's see the Phillies can pull this one off tonight. We'll be back at you tomorrow to explain what happened in the Eagles game and Phillies game number five from Citizens Bank Park. Have a great night, everybody. This is Mike Miss. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.